Well, welcome to today's broadcast. We're so glad you could join with us here at the Dream Centre, wherever you're watching. I pray peace to you, peace to your home and your family and your nation. And um, I, want today, I want to talk to you today about spirit, soul and body and the power of right thinking. Spirit, soul and body, the power of right thinking. So let's first of all turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 12 verse 1. A scripture many, many of us have read many, many times, but I want to open it up today and show you other subsequent, uh, subsequent uh, scriptures that help us understand the power of thinking and how important it is to the spirit, the soul and the body of humanity and you in particular. So it says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. Now, Paul is trying to make an emphasis. I urge you. So he's, he's writing this to bring you to an atten- a point of attention where you and I see and understand what it is he's emphasizing. And he says, I want to, therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. He said, this is your spiritual act of worship. So what is worship? Worship isn't just singing, though Part of singing is worship. Worship is much more than just singing. Man, if that's all we're born to do is sing, then we might as well go back home to be with the Lord right now. But worship has far more depth than you just singing and I just singing. He says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. That's how, before we even sing a song, we need to offer our bodies holy and pleasing as a pleasing sacrifice this is our spiritual act of worship and then he says this do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world and right now this world of ours has got some crazy patterns of thinking but he says but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so if you're not going to follow the patterns of this world it's going to take or it's going to require a different level and a different type of thinking that this world already has. Now we're living in a time where everything is being turned upside down. Anything that is holy, pleasing, righteous, moral, ethical, pleasing in the eyes of God is being turned upside down and thrown out and being replaced by ideologies, philosophies, which is thinking. <clears throat> He says this, but at the end of the scripture, then he says this, when you've done all that, when you've offered your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing, which is your spiritual act of worship, and when you don't conform any longer to this pattern of this world, and when you're transformed by the renewing of your mind, look what happens now, it says, then you'll be able to test and approve God's will. He's good, he's pleasing, and his perfect will. It's only when those things are in place are you then able to test, approve. God's will is pleasing and perfect will. So the testing and approving is the final part of the renewing of the mind, the offering of your body as a holy sacrifice, one that's pleasing to God. You cannot test and approve God's will if those other things are not in place. Now, in order for us to put those things in place, we have to think differently. We cannot test and approve if we have not thought things through and we have not processed and we've not concluded. So offering our body is a key aspect to 
pleasing the mind of God, pleasing the heart of God. And it's a key aspect to your body, your mind and your spirit being renewed. Your body is the core vessel. Now, it's the vehicle that carries your destiny. Think of it like this. Many, many Christians say, I have a wonderful destiny. I believe God has given me an absolutely incredible destiny. And yet, they eat, they drink, they live wrong. Now, just think about that. If your body collapses, your destiny dies with your body. Destiny needs a body. So there's one level of thinking right now. You think of your body right now, your eating habits, your sleeping habits, your working habits, your, your life in general. If your body's not in good shape, then your destiny's already placed in jeopardy. Wow, that's a serious thought right there. This is one of the things we teach in our discipleship uh, school here in the Dream Center, that if you're going to have destiny, then we need to look after this body, take care of this body. Because you can't be any size you want and think you're going to live. This body's going to survive and take you to the, the place called fulfillment. If your body stops, destiny dies. Why? Because everything God has invested lives inside a body. That's a level of thinking that we must first address. The next thing then is our soul. Now the soul. You live in a body. In this body there is a soul and the soul includes your mind. It includes your emotions and if we, if we know anything about human beings we know that the, the mind and the emotions are, the, are two of the most destabling factors you will ever find inside a human being. The emotions and the way a person thinks. Often the way a person thinks then creates the emotions that attach to it. And then the emotions then continue to influence the way we think. And it's a vicious cycle that we get into when we can't seem to get out. Then we see the spirit. Now the spirit, the spirit is made alive through the Holy Spirit living inside us. It is the spirit within man that is opened up to destiny and to eternity because God has set eternity in the hearts of man. But men cannot fathom out what it is. But you and I are different because God has put his spirit inside us. We have the conscious mind of God now alive inside us. And it's that consciousness of God that brings and triggers off internal alarm systems that when we're going the wrong way or we're thinking the wrong things, the alarm bells start ringing on the inside. Why? Because that's the consciousness of God alive inside of us. So we need a body. God's given us a body. We need, we need a healthy soul, and God's given us a soul, but for many people, it's not healthy. And soul health is one of the most important aspects of humanity that we need to address, certainly inside the church, because we can influence and make impact inside the church. Soul health is important. And when I say soul health, I mean your soul health. So, it's carried, your, your soul is carried inside a human body. And it has to be taken care of. Your soul has to be taken care of. It has to be willingly offered. It has to be willingly submitted. It has to change, transform, in order for it to come into a place of health. Let's go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 5, 
verse 7. It says, cast all your anxiety. Now, anxiety is stress, it's emotions. It says, cast all that. Watch this. Because he cares for you. So our Father does not want us to carry the stress and the anxiety that come from wrong thinking or from thinking that's been attacked, which then trigger off all kinds of emotions. And we carry this around in our body and we carry it deep within our soul and it begins to weigh us down. He says, cast it off. So there has to be a place where it can be surrendered, it can be submitted, it can be given to God. Watch this. Because he cares for us. Because our Father cares for us and he sees your soul and he sees how how burdened and and how um, heavy laden it becomes and he says look give it to me give it to me this is why you submitting uh, and sacri- making your bodies a living sacrifice is a key aspect of your worship before you even sing it's what you can give to God is what you can submit to God which will then determine what you release to God So watch this, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And then he says this, be self-control and alert. Now, alertness and self-control are the result of you and I having the power to make an accurate decision or an accurate response rather than us making an inaccurate decision or making an inaccurate response. Let's continue reading. He says, because the devil... The enemy, and the devil, notice he joins the word enemy, the devil, together. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Now, what does he do there? The enemy, through strain and stress, he devours your heart, your mind, your soul, he wearies you, and he then begins to affect the emotions which drain you. Now, if your mind and your will and your emotions are not submitted to God, then you'll always be in the flesh and never in the spirit. So it's important that we surrender and submit things that are not in line, things that are troubling us, things that are beginning to to take over. We've got to find ways of how to submitting and surrendering and giving to God these things so that we do not become sick inside our soul. It's so, so important. Now, it says this. We do this by resisting him. Standing firm in the the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. So we know that every Christian who wants to live a holy, pleasing life for God will at times experience stress, suffering, accusations, all those kind of things that will come at us at some point. But we must learn to stand strong in the faith and learn how to handle our soul. Our soul, because our soul health is important to our worship. I wish more people would talk about this. The soul is a key to the spirit. The spirit very often is shut down because of your soul. Let me give you an example You're told to pray in all kinds of situations, but when you're sick, what happens? The soul says, you don't want to pray today. No, God understands. Just lie down. Just go and sit down. Don't have to pray. Don't read. And your soul will begin to listen to your body. Your body and your soul are in cahoots against your spirit. And your spirit has to rise up. That's the inward man has to rise up and say, body, soul, shut up. 
Bless the Lord, O my soul. Now, whose voice is that? Bless the Lord, O my soul. It's the spirit man that can see that the soul is being taken captive and the body's taken captive by those two working together. It's the spirit that must rise above so the body and the soul come into alignment and the spirit now becomes the leader. Wow. So God understands. God understands because he created this soul of ours. He gave us a spirit to combat the soul. The spirit will then speak to the body. The spirit will speak to the soul and it will bring them all into alignment. But the moment you put the spirit as the last, the last importance in your life, then the body and the soul will always dominate your life. And this is why so many Christians have poor soul health. They don't take care. Food is not soul health. Food is comfort. Food is nutritional. Food can be used for so many things. But so many people sit there and just comfort eat. That's soul health. That's not soul. That is soul, but that doesn't bring soul health. That brings poor health. So, God understanding the complexities of trying to bring the soul and the spirit and the body. If we're going to follow God, we know that God has rules. We know he has terms and we know he has conditions. But how many of you know that terms and conditions or rules never, ever keep people doing things they should do? Because, you know, when I was a child, I, broke, I think I broke every rule in the book. My mother and father, I put them through all kinds of uh, fears and phobias because of I was just one of those kids that if you said don't, I thought, yeah, you can. I'm the type of guy, or I was the type of guy, that if you painted a, a bench in black paint and you said don't touch I had to touch it just to see how wet the paint really was that's not a good trait that might sound humorous as a kid but as you get older that'll get you in a lot of trouble rules we must learn to follow rules but you know I've learned you'll never you'll never lead your children just by imposing rules and God understands this so there is a way then of getting us to take care of our spirit and our soul and our body, but it's not just by rules alone. So let me just stay with me for a while. God understands this. Now, I don't know if you've seen the movie Pirates of the Caribbean with Jack Sparrow, and they, they have these rules, and he says, uh, and Jack, oh, often when these rules are pointed, uh, put to Jack, Jack says, well, they're not really rules, they're more a set of guidelines. In other words, Soon as the, the if it's if it's a rule that I don't like, it's a guideline that gives me leverage to break the rule, and there you go. That's what kids do. Well, mum and dad said don't do this, but I think they really meant this, and straight away we start negotiating what we thought we heard. Now, God knows that rules alone will not change your behaviour. Consequences sometimes prevent people from taking actions, but even consequences do not stop people breaking rules. And when I say rules, I mean health rules, I mean soul rules, I mean spirit rules. I'm not talking about, you know, governmental rules. You see, people know that smoking can bring cancer, but people still smoke. People know that drinking can cause heart disease, but people still and so it goes on. People know the, the danger of eating processed foods, but yet takeaway food is still in demand. So we know that rules alone don't keep people. So how do you bring people into health without just, you've got to have rules, but rules alone don't always do the job. Right. It's, 
at this point that a new education has to take place. You educate people. Now, I know with my children, when they were younger, I found one of the ways to really get through to my children is to... Children will keep asking you, why, 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 why? Now, you can't turn around and say, because I'm your father. Now, once upon, you know, once or twice you might get away with that. But after a while, kids keep pushing you and saying, why, why, why? At that time, it's important you've discovered a truth and just keep on that truth and keep finding ways to explain that truth, the consequences, the benefits thereof. Why? Because once you know, once you've got the truth, you don't have to keep looking for other answers. Just keep saying the same things, but say different ways. And I find that education is a great way of bringing people into change. Rules are one one thing that we all need. We must have rules. But education about those rules and the consequences and the blessings thereof is what most people need and what most people don't have. You can't keep shouting at people and saying, because it's a rule and I'm telling you to do it. That's not going to help people. You can't just discipline them because they broke a rule. Education is what we need. Now, governments understand this. You must keep educating the people so they come to a new level of thinking. Right, now we're on the same page. When you can enlighten a person, then what happens is, is when you enlighten a person... Wisdom, knowledge, intelligence, understanding come to a person which now opens up their perspective to see things they never could see, understand things they never understood, and now their behaviour begins to change because of enlightenment. Now you've affected the thinking of an individual, not just, you're not just pushing them by rules. Now, when God speaks to us, he has to renew the mind so that your behavior will change. Because a rule on its own is not going to bring you and I into soul health or spiritual health or physical health. We need a new understanding, a new insight, a new wisdom, a new knowledge, a new intelligence that only God can bring to us. So that God then gets the behavior, design and pattern and lifestyle that he's always wanted for us. So education and renewing of the mind are are the, the highways that God goes through. So when many preachers talk about transformation of the mind, really what they're after is behavior modification. But behavior modification is the result of a renewed mind. You don't get a renewed, you don't get new behavior without a transformation of the mind. When I was a child, I did certain things. But as my mind gets renewed and enlightened, I then come to a whole new level. And this is what Scripture must do to our lives. Now, think about this. The world around us is constantly shifting. It's evolving. It's changing. It seems like with every day you rise, you watch the news, there's different things being ripped up, traditional things Pillars of society had all been thrown, up, thrown out, ripped up, thrown away because of new ideologies and new philosophies. Right now, with the Black Lives Matter, things are changing and accelerating in the nations of the world. Things that were once pillars and traditions are now all of a sudden being th- uh, ripped up. Same with LGBT or any other things. Uh, certain sways, people movements, certain emphasis and crisis, everything gets thrown up in the air and 
everything gets separated. At that point, you can be shifted and you can drift into places that you were never, ever meant to go. Because you are now pulled and pushed by public opinion. You bring the news, what does the news do? It divides and conquers us straight away. It divides and conquers. It wants you on one side or that side. And if you're on that side, it will vilify you. If you're on this side, great. So we have to be very careful that when we read the news, that we stand back with good soul health, with good spiritual health, with good mental health, and we can see what the media is trying to do to us. It's very deceptive, loved ones, and we must be very careful. The mind is up for grabs. The mind is up for grabs. So with so many things changing around our world, if there is a time to stand firm and there's a time to change. Now, what's the difference? It depends what's pushing you and what's pulling you. The Bible tells us to stand firm on our convictions, but we need to change in our mind and our thinking. Why? Because we need to change to come more into alignment to what God is saying. So there's a time to shift and there's a time to stand firm. And it's, you must know that what that timing is in your life. Now, here's the thing. If the world is changing, or if God is, is constantly on the move, I should say, if God is constantly on the move and everyone around you is coming into a whole new level of renewal but you don't change you're the one who gets left behind and when you get left behind you become more and more traditional you become more and more worldly and you become more and more watch this unspiritual and you come you become less and less useful to the purposes of God because God needs to change man he needs to change woman. He needs to change the church. And God will not stop working until you can get to the place where you can spiritually submit all that you are before God and offer it to him as a holy, pleasing sacrifice because this pleases God. So everything about you must be in a state of change. Now, the older we become, we don't like change. And there's our problem. When we, become, when we resist change, we become more and more worldly, traditional we, we believe our own opinions rather than God's. And that makes us less influential and uh, of any use to the purposes of God. Now, Colossians chapter 1, verse 5. The faith and love that springs from hope. The faith and love that springs from hope. This is Colossians 1, verse 5. The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. Now watch this. All over the world it said the gospel is bearing fruit. And it's growing just as it's been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood it by God's grace in all its truth. Now, why do we think or why should we think the gospel is still bearing fruit and producing what it was always designed to do. Why do you and I still think, living in, in, in Europe, if you're in Europe and you're watching me today, when we look around us in Europe, it seems like Europe has abandoned any sense of moral standards. Morals have gone to hell in Western Europe. But yet the Bible says it's still bearing fruit. Now, how can the Bible make such a claim? Well, the gospel is bearing fruit throughout the world because those who carry it have learned to master self-mastery. Well, the moment you and I can master self-mastery, the gospel begins to bear fruit. There's many, many ways of interpreting how the gospel's bearing fruit. You could turn and say, you could look at it and say, well, how many people have been saved in Europe? 
That's one way. You could say, how many being discipled in the church today? That's another one. How many living, uh, living, breathing disciples are actually now perfecting what they've already received? Now, there's another level. So all those things can be used. But here, I want to talk to you about self-mastery. Taking care of your own spirit, taking care of your own soul, taking care of your own body. Because all those three things must have health. If your body's sick, your mind will be sick in a lot of cases. Your emotions will be affected. Your spirituality will be affected. So God wants us spiritually whole. He wants us spiritual, physically whole. He wants us mentally whole. Now all that takes work and effort. Now let's carry on. You must obtain individual self-mastery. In other words, take control and master some of your challenges. You must get some victory in some of these areas. You must master individual thinking, personal behavior. And you must take responsibility for the security of your intelligence. You must take responsibility for the security of your intelligence. In other words, who is telling you? What are they telling you? Why are they telling you? Where are they trying to lead you? You must take security of your spiritual, intellectual intelligence. If you can be told by everyone, you are dangerous. Now, Alvin Toffler is one of my uh, favorite uh, authors. And he says this. The illiterate of the 21st century will not be those who cannot read. And no, Lord knows we have a lot of children who are struggling to read. It's not those who can't read, he says. It's not those who can't write. Though there are many people who can't write and don't write neatly. I'm one of those who haven't got nice penmanship. But I can write. That's not the problem, he says. It's those who cannot, watch, learn, unlearn, and relearn. Now think about that. Those, the illiterate of the 21st century is not, you can be able to read and you'll be able to write, but he said that's not the problem. The issue is those who cannot learn, unlearn what they've been taught, because not everything we've been taught has been right. In fact, the first thing you find when you come into Christ, there's a lot of unlearning to do. And when you go from one church to another church, there's a lot of unlearning to do. Why? Because truth is progressional depending on how receptive you are. And what's going on in your life? There are lessons that you can learn here, but you didn't learn over there. So l truth is constantly being renewed and upgraded and updated in our lives. You didn't go to church once or twice. You didn't go to that church for a year, two years and learn everything there is to be learned about Christ. It doesn't work that way. And not everything that he told you over there or they told you over here was exactly 100% true. Why? Because every man's got some form of revelation. So, three clear levels there that need to be mastered. My learning. Watch this. My learning has to be mastered. Am I teachable? Number two. My unlearning. How readily and how willing am I to recognize some things I was taught were not necessarily the whole truth and nothing but the truth, O oh Lord. There are many things my mum and dad taught me, but as I've got older, I've realised they wasn't necessarily as it was. That's not necessarily how it was. I've learned my some other ways. I found better ways. Okay, then there is ultimately learning. Now the learning doesn't come until you've 
unlearned some stuff and thrown some stuff out. Now he says, listen to what Alvin says in one of his comments. He says, you've got to think about the big things while you're doing the small things. So that the small things go in the right direction. Let me say that again. You've got to think about the big things. What are the big things in life? Well, you're doing the small things. That's the routine of life. So that they all go in the right direction. Now, very often, unlearning, learning and requires, it takes place in the day-to-day of the small things. It's in the routine of life. It's not always in the big things of life where the learning and the unlearning and the relearning takes place. It's in the everyday of life, the routine of life. And I've come to understand, I've been teaching our ADT students the power of discovering destiny through the routine of everyday of life. Oh, I wish I could start on that. So much of what we learn is in the routine of life. What people try to get rid of routine and look for the big things. And then the big things, you, you can't just, we're not all free to just do the big things, but it's the small things that lead us to the big things. And the small things is the routine. And the small things is where God wants to speak to you. It's in the small things, in the routine, where God wants to address your heart issue and your soul health. It's not in the big things, it's in the small things. Because it's in the small things that need micro-adjustments. Big things normally lead us to crisis and we have a major turning point. But if God can lead you in the small things, he can adjust you and tweak you and unlearn and relearn and adjust you so that you become far more flexible in the small things of life which lead us to the big things. We want to get to the big things thinking that everything's sorted, but no, we're not. We're incomplete in the big things and that's why many of us never see the big things of life. So, it's the small things that will derail you. It's not always the big things. It's the small things that derail you. It's the small things that destroy your faith. It's the small things that bring your soul into unrest. It's the small things that really cause you the biggest issues. And then in the small things, the small things actually, because they're unattended, become big things. Because we didn't deal with it as a small issue, it's now become a big thing. And now it's a major issue. And now we're in trouble. But it was in the smallness, it was in the small everyday routine that you first became aware of these things, but you never dealt with it in the, in the day called routine. Wow. This is, I'm preaching better than you're responding right now. Now, if you can stand and show determination to work out and master the process, you'll be on the road to developing a transformed mind. Let me say that again. If you can stand and show real determination to work out through process, through routine, through the small things, you'll be on the road to developing a transformed mind. Many people reach a point in life when they hit a crossroad and depending how old they are, what's going on in their life, they'll say, you know what, I don't want to go on any further. Let me just stay here. Let me just camp here. I'll maintain what I've got. But invariably, they never maintain, they step back. Maintenance is a a license for going backwards. Maintenance is a a license to go backwards. (coughs) But occasionally others come to that crossroads and they use the crossroads to spur them on to big things. 
Because they won't be taken out by the small things. The small things will take you out far more often than the big things. Because the truth is, we live in the small things far more than we ever live in the big things. We live in the small things of life far more than we live in the big things. Because everyone's waiting for the big thing. And the big thing may only happen twice, three times in your life. But the small things happen every day of our life and they're unnoticed and they're ignored and they're never celebrated. But the small things lead us to the big things. And Alvin tells us, keep doing the small things while you're thinking about the big things so that they're all moving in the right direction. This is not even a Christian and yet he's got some wisdom. Why? Because this man took responsibility for the security of his intelligence. Hmm. You know, when I was at school, I never took responsibility for the security of my intelligence. But once I left school, I did. And I have. And I keep on doing. So, when we hit this crossroads, we say, we say to ourselves, I don't want my life to remain at the same level. Well, the moment I say I don't want my life to remain at the same level, I am now obligated to move on and be challenged in new areas. So I watch many, many Christians, especially as they get older in life, sit down and they're content with what they've learned. And they're not really interested in pursuing and keeping their act sharp. They're just happy to maintain and listen and smile and say, thank you, pastor. Thank you for today's word. Now, let me just say this to the congregation here this morning, or this afternoon, I should say. When you say to your pastor, I've been waiting to say this to you. When you say to your pastor, oh, that was a great word this morning, you think you're complimenting him. You're not helping him when you say, that was a great word this morning. You say, well, hang on, Pastor, I'm confused. I'm complimenting you. I'm telling you that was a great word this morning. If you really want to help me, or you want to help any other pastor who you speak to, tell them why it helped you and in what way it's helped you. Because then they can see the measure of the word. You telling me, bless you this morning, is not anything I need to hear. I need to see how it's changing you and why it's changing you and in what areas it's changing you. Because that shows me the extent of the reach of the word, not just the impact. I want to see the reach of the word, not just the impact. You know, you can be thirsty and someone throw a bucket of water over you, but you're still thirsty even though you're wet. Why? Because you got drowned by the impact, but you never had the, the water never reached inside of you and refreshed you. You're just telling me of the impact. I got soaked. I'm not interested if you got soaked. I'm asking you, did you get a drink? The word has to go beyond flesh and blood. And when you tell me, it's, oh, that was a good word, you compliment it. I understand your compliment. I'm saying to you from now on, let's change the dialogue. Show me how it's affecting you. Show me the power of the reach inside of you. And then I'm able to keep on ministering at those levels because I know now where the word is reaching. See, this is the difference between somebody who wants to see soul transformation rather than someone who's just trying to bless you. If you get soul transformation, you'll get blessed. But if you get blessed, you won't always get soul transformation. So, very often we get in this thought of, Negativity. Now, when we, get neg- when we get negative, we become poisonous. And we have, we develop poisonous thinking. Well, what do you mean by poisonous thinking? Well, how you see yourself can often be 
the result of poisonous thinking. Depending what age of life you are, depending what you've gone through in life, depending who's rejected you, who's accepted you, depending what relationships you've had, you may have a poor or a low poor self-image of yourself and therefore everything that comes into you has to go through that filter and everything gets swallowed up in that part of your thinking now everything good everything beautiful everything nutritional gets locked in and tied into because uh, how you see yourself so everything gets chewed up rather than filtering through it doesn't get past the poison wow so how you see yourself can be the result of poisonous thinking how and what you think about others is also poisonous thinking watch this what you think and perceive others are talking about you and how what they what you think they're saying it now affects you emotionally psychologically and spiritually now the thing is about this is there is no truth in what you think they're saying all you've got is suspicion and your suspicion is your poison hear what i'm saying don't judge me very often what we think people are saying about us has never been said it's just a suspicion there's no truth no facts no evidence just my internal suspicion and it comes so loud on the inside because of the poison that's already in there everything goes through that filter and you think and i think and they think and we think that we must be right because this is how it makes me feel your feelings is not no evidence for a for a court of law now watch this your suspicion psychologically then moves you into fear. Your suspicions, or psychologically speaking, moves you into fear. Now, the part of the brain that reacts to this is called the amygdala. The amygdala. And it's located in the uh, hippocampus of the frontal portion of the temporal lobe. Okay? Now, watch this. This amygdala is a, is a key part of the brain why because it gives you and i the ability to feel certain emotions mm. and to perceive them in others wow so does that mean everything i think and i perceive is right no 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 because if you've already got poison inside of you then everything's going through that filter until that filter is cleared up and changed and here we have a problem so when people uh, feel and uh, perceive emotions in themselves or feel that, that, that these emotions are now coming back from them based on what they perceive others are thinking about them it triggers a fight or flight syndrome but the interesting thing about this you, maybe you not know this but this is true the interesting thing about this is that our brain does not know the difference between a perceived threat from a real threat Oh yeah, that's true. Our brain does not know the difference between a perceived threat from a real threat, hence why we jump into fear too easy. And we are moved into fear. Wow. And that causes us to go emotionally off balance, unstable, nuts, even crazy. Wow. Now, fear studies in fear teach us this. Studies in fear teaches this. 80% of what we fear never happens. Studies in fear tell us this. 80% of what 
of what we fear never happens. Now, how do I know this? Because I was talking to a psychologist only a couple of weeks ago, and they told me all this information. So I know from a trained psychologist, these are truths. They say that fear studies, 80% of what we fear never happens. Out of that remaining 20%, watch this, out of that 20%, only 3% of those concerns only ever materialize. Meaning... 97% of our thinking was taken up by nonsense. 97%. That's nine, seven. 97% was taken up by wasted energy. What you thought and I thought was real. I have evidence in my mind. It was nonsense. Wow. Wow. So why did we... Allow it to consume us. So what do we learn from this? This scientific, psychological data. Well, I'll tell you what it teaches us. It tells us, the science tells us, the value of negative, sorry, the, the value of positive and the destruction of negative thinking. Now, can you imagine how much soul health we would have if we could put 97% of what was true, what was fact, what was good, what was healthy, what was pleasing. Can you imagine if we could take 97% could be taken up and used and focused and directed on that which is pleasing, that which is good, that which is perfect, that which is lovely. Everything that Thessalonians tells us. Think on those things. Can you imagine if we could put 97% in that zone how much soul health we would have. But no, we, get choo- we choose to get wrapped up with 3%. And that 3% is toxic, and that 3% brings soul. It doesn't bring us soul health at all. It brings us soul sickness. Now watch this. Let's go to Psalm 32. I'm going to show you how soul sickness affects the body. Now let me highlight to you internally what goes on inside our lives when wrong thinking, when sin, because sin, thinking and sin and deceit take place, it all releases a poison into our soul and into our spirit which affects our body. Oh yeah. And this is only one scripture I'm going to pick up. I could pick up many other scriptures that show you this, but I'm just going to pick up one from David. Psalm 32. Now, David's been caught in adultery. Now, I know not everyone is in adultery. Thank goodness for that. But watch what David's, let's watch David's words very, very carefully. Psalm 32, verse 1. He says, blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven. So blessed, if you're forgiven, you're blessed. You've got a clean slate. You've got a clean bill of health in the sight of God. So you're blessed. But watch this. Those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. In other words, God's forgiven it, he's cleansed it. There's no problem there. There's no sickness there, nothing to hinder us. But then he continues, Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. In the spirit there is no deceit. Where? In the spirit there is no deceit. And then he picks it up, verse 3. Now here's the turning point. When I kept silent. In other words, he'd internalized everything up to this point. And now he's going to show you 
through him internalizing everything, the effects it had upon his soul and upon his body and upon his spirit. My bones wasted away. Now stop just right there. How do your bones waste away by just keeping something to yourself? Well, let me tell you, this toxicity, this internal poison begins to really affect and mess up your soul. It messes up, then begins to affect your body. Your body then cries under it because it's saying, release me, for goodness sake, find some release. The answer's in your spirit. The body's actually pleading with the spirit to speak to the soul. And the body's feeling the pressure and the weight of the sickness because toxins are going into the body. Do you know what they say about animals? Now, I know we're not the same as, as animals in this sense, but let me use this illustration. The, re, the issue between killing animals is whether we electrocute the cow or we, we uh, as the Muslims do, slit the throat, is so it doesn't cause stress in the body. Because stress in the body then affects the taste of the meat and the tenderness of the meat. Now, let's just say that in the spirit realm, that what comes into our hearts, when we don't deal with it, it begins to affect the stress of our body and our body then cries out under the pain please release me let me go so watch what he's saying now the body feels the effects as physically it's now the body's being held captive by sin or by toxicity that's not an easy word to say by the way he said my bones are wasted away through my groaning all day long. When someone groans all day long, it's because their soul is sad. Their soul is sad. My, by my, through, my, sorry, I've been wasted away through groaning all day long. For, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped. As in the heat of summer. And then he goes, Selah, pause, pause. Get a brain thing. Get a brain shift. Then he comes back in verse 5. Then I acknowledge my sin. Now it opens the door and he begins to cry out and says, Lord, I can't take this anymore. I can't take the, the anguish of heart. I can't take the, 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 the my bones are, are wasting away. I'm groaning. My whole body is under stress. It's under attack. Why? Because of what I think, because of what I've done, and because of what I think about what I've done. Now, watch this. For days and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of the summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. Wow. Now there are things that you willfully do and there's things that you unconsciously do. He says, but at this point, I don't cover it up. I, I open it up, Lord, and I say, search me and know my heart. Then he says, in other words, I took responsibility for submitting. Watch this now. I took responsibility for learning. I took responsibility for unlearning. Because some of the things I learned caused me to have prejudice against certain people. Some of the things I learned put certain emotions and certain suspicions in my mind towards others. So now I have to get a new experience, I have to unlearn. But when I unlearn, I realised I was wrong in that area. And at that point, I say, Lord, forgive me, cleanse my heart, because I don't want that poison to come into a new area. I realised I was wrong. 
It's not always about sin. It's about you being wrong in some areas and you acknowledging it and cleaning it up. And then he says this, I, when I relearned, I, I understood the process of learning, unlearning, so I can now learn something new and upgraded, uh, upgrade myself. He said this, I said I will confess my transgression to the Lord. Now confession is a very, very part, a big part of soul health. Soul health. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. So every time you see the need to unlearn, I want you, I want to encourage you to confess it over your life. Whenever you see that you're wrong in an area or what someone taught you wasn't quite true, so it wasn't that you were wrong, it just wasn't quite true in that sense, or it wasn't all the full truth, I want you to confess this is an opportunity, Lord, set me right in this area. I want you to start soul health by confession. Because confession is good for the soul. And it's good for your conscience to hear what your spirit, and your spirit is good for the spirit to hear what the conscience is thinking about. So therefore, your body then begins to rise under a new leadership. Your soul can no longer be your leader. Your spirit man is the leader. Your spirit man is the leader. And every time you see this need to unlearn, I want you to confess to yourself, this is an opportunity, O Lord. Teach me your way, O God, and set me in truth. Unlearning is a real superpower. Unlearning is a superpower many Christians don't have. But this one has it, and he wants you to have it. So, I have personally observed as my, in my many years of pastoring and leading people, which has been my privilege and my calling to do, I've made some observations of many people I've pastored over the years. And it's, I've realized God's creation is very wonderful, and yet it's also strange. And I guess we all fit into that bracket at some point or other, myself included. So many believers today, listen to me and observe me in the camera because I'm talking to you today. Many believers are chronically sick in their bodies because you have poor soul health. You go into doctors to fix things that you yourself already have the answer for. Oh yeah, now I'm not saying every sickness you have in your body, I'm not saying that. Listen to what I am saying, not what I'm not saying. I'm saying many, many believers are sick in their souls and they're going to the doctors for medication, for all kinds of things, and your body is under stress and under sickness because of the sickness that lies in your soul. Well, I didn't say everybody, I said many. And I didn't say all sicknesses, I said some. Well, how does that happen? Well, we've already seen through reading David's word, unconfessed sin is the gateway. Unconfessed sin. If you have sin in your life, I say today, put it right with God. Do not be like David and wait and find God's hand heavy upon you. Do not... Get to reach the point where your bones are crying out to your spirit saying, please confess, for goodness sake, open your mouth, say something. The body's crying under pressure. Your body, when it starts getting sick, it's a way of telling you something internally is wrong. And you go to the doctor and he listens to patterns. He thinks, oh, we've got a medicine that'll fix that. You don't need physical medicine. You need spiritual medicine in some areas of your life. 
Now, I'm very careful what I'm saying because I do not want you thinking that every sickness you've got is a confession issue. And neither am I saying that every problem you've got is a medical issue. I'm saying you must know the difference and let by the Spirit of God, let him witness to you today which is which. When, when we, you live with such a poor self-image and you internally destroy every ounce of positivity that comes in your spirit. I see some Christians that they can't carry the message out beyond the front door because of their poor self-image. And everything that gets poured into you, the many hands that have been laid on you, the many prophecies, the many words, the many promises, all get swallowed up by this poor soul health. Wow. I'm preaching better than you're responding right now. Unforgiveness is a sin. Unforgiveness is a sin. In fact, so much so that the Bible tells us in Matthew that when we refuse to forgive others... Our Heavenly Father turns away from us. He says, how can you expect the Father to forgive you if you will not forgive others? It is a gateway to closing the heavens over your life. And it's a, and it's a, it's a door to letting sin and sickness into your life. And so it brings bad sickness in the soul, in the area of the soul, I should say. So when you refuse to forgive or acknowledge the need to forgive... It releases toxicity. When this happens, our prayers are hindered. Wow. Our prayers are hindered. If you're going to drop, let me just say this to you. If you're, this is my pastoral advice. If you are determined to drip blood, if you are determined to keep on dripping blood in my presence, then don't be offended when I move to put a stitch into you to stop you from bleeding. If you're going to keep dripping blood in front of me, do not see me as the enemy when I try to come and put a stitch in your wound. Because any man of God would move towards you when you're bleeding because his natural response is to help and bring health back to you. But so many people would rather bleed and bleed and bleed rather than open up their heart and letting the Holy Spirit come and put a stitch in that area. Wow. We bleed uncontrollably when we allow our lives to be taken by suspicion. That's uncontrollable bleeding because only you can stop that. But you have no facts, you have no proof, you have no evidence, so therefore you continually keep bleeding and you become a person with an issue of blood. Wow. Because you refuse, and all it takes is a couple of stitches. And that stitches comes through confession. That stitches comes through acknowledging you're wrong. That stitch comes through, Lord, I humble myself. I, I, I willingly offer myself to you. Lord, I refuse to think like that again. I refuse to, to make myself become the victim here. Lord, I'm going to become the one who takes responsibility for my thinking and my soul health. When I do that, I stop bleeding and I start healing. Wow. If I'm always making overemphasis on how, what they said, he said, she said, how it made me feel, oh, you really, really did hurt me when you said this. Stop it, that's bleeding. You're carrying your issue of blood around with you. Put a stitch in it. So, I know 
that you and me are a work in progress. Oh yes. And last time I looked in the mirror, I boy, am I a piece of work that needs some work. But I'm definitely in progress. But understanding this, I've done a few litmus tests over the years on my life. And I just want to quickly go through it. I know time's going by, but I want to say this because this is important. These might help you. In Philippians chapter 1, it says, verse 6, it says, Being confident of this, that who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. In other words, he'll carry it on. If it needs stitches, he's able to give you stitches by the roadside. Why? Because he wants you to keep going. Yes, you've bled. Okay. You won't be the only person to have bled. We've all bled from time to time. The difference is some stop and keep bleeding. Others carry on and allow the Holy Spirit to bring some stitches. Watch this. In verse 7, it's right for me to feel this way about you. Why? Since I have you in my heart. There's no negativity there. There's own positivity. And he wants, because what's in his heart, he wants to reach out and see God do a transformational work in those that God has given under his care. Wow. This is why he's saying the things he's saying. This is why he's doing the things he's doing. Why? Because he wants those who are under his care to be well and whole in their soul, their spirit and in their body. And this is me as a pastor. For whether I'm in chains or defending it or confirming the gospel, all of you sharing God's grace with me. God can testify how long, how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ. And this is my prayer. Watch this. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best, and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ Jesus. Hmm. So in my personal GPS guidance system, in my heart, that's leading me towards transformation and renewed thinking, let me just very quickly say these things to you. I've learned in my heart, these are my gold, these are my rules now, which brings me into transformation. You might want to adopt some of these, you might not. First one is, I'm drawn, I'm first and foremost, I am drawn to the spirit of truth. First and foremost, in my heart and in my maturity with God at this point in my life, I am drawn to the spirit of truth, rather being drawn to people who speak earthly wisdom, who speak good life tips, and who speak good, healthy messages. All those things are good, but that's not the highest priority in my life. Why? The spirit of truth is my highest order. Because the spirit of truth does not have opinions. It has truth. All those other things have opinions. I need to live by truth, not opinions. Secondly, I have taught myself to operate on, three, on a three-strike rule. Now this might help some of you. I've taught myself over the years as a pastor to live and to walk and to function in leadership on a three-strike rule. You know what that is? So rather than me telling, when I see something wrong in you, rather than me telling you straight away, I work on grace. Give you grace first. Because that's what the Spirit of God would do. Give us grace. The next thing I do is I give you mercy. So grace and mercy. But then the third point, we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about some truth. Now, I found that three-strike rule has guided me and guided me more than it's ever led me into error. To give someone grace and to give someone mercy before you give them the truth has helped me as a leader stay a leader and stay in control of my own emotions and stay in control of leading the ship 
Because if I get deterred by my own emotions, I lead everybody in that direction. Thirdly, I've learned to live and function by a God conscience. I've learned to live and function by my God uh, conscience and my inner awareness to live by it. If the Spirit of God can't lead me and can't awaken me to certain things, all I'll ever learn alone, all I'll ever lean to is, is natural learning. I need the consciousness of God. That's the mind of God. Fourthly, I try to observe the needs of others and I try to move towards those needs wherever possible. I try. I try. I don't always succeed, but I'm leaning this way. Next one. I don't speak or deal with people when I'm angry or frustrated. Why? I leave it until I'm in the right spirit. Times, time and time again, I've wanted to deal with some people straight away, but I've learned remove yourself first, go away. Phil and Paul will tell you this, they'll bear, bear me up on this. They're the elders in this house. I very rarely will talk to somebody at the moment where they frustrated me. Why? Some of, you know, even our own leaders, when I give them feedback, I won't speak to them for maybe a week or so until I'm in the right spirit so that when I do come back to them, we get a positive outcome rather than just an emotional exchange. It's helped me, it's worked for me. I'm consciously aware, watch this, I'm consciously aware the danger of creating a long-term consequence through a short outburst of anger. Wow, how many times did you run off with your mouth? Now, I'm learning these things. I'm not, I've not mastered them. But in the learning, I'm trying to master them. Carol says to me many, many times, you never thought about what you said. You treat me differently. And you know what? She's right. Sometimes in your own home, the guards are down and you think to yourself, you think you're free to say certain things, but you know the same rules apply to everyone everywhere. It's not just church. It's everywhere. These rules, have le- I'm trying to learn by these rules to guide and govern my life. So uh, I'm aware, consciously, uh, a long-term consequence, sorry, let me say that again. I'm consciously aware of the danger of creating a long-term consequence through a short outburst of anger. Wow. Last one. Or not last one. <laughs> I make myself personally responsible. Now, my leaders will tell you this, and I've, been, I've modeled this all through my life as a leader. I make myself personally responsible for modeling the standards needed for leading you, the people. If I can't raise to the standard needed, then I don't deserve to lead you. Phil and Paul will tell you that. I've constantly said, if it needs a new standard, then we must become the standard. Whatever it takes, we must be the standard to show the people and to remove all excuses from the people why it can't be done, why they shouldn't do it. Somebody has to climb the mountain. And that's, if God's called you to be the standard bearer, then you must bear the standard. And show the people it's possible. I learned that from my, my dear old father, Dr. Jonathan David. Let me give you another point. And these things I'm trying, these are the things by God's grace I'm, lean, I'm learning to do. I'm getting victory in some areas. Uh, in fact, I'm getting victory in all these areas, but not total victory. And this is one uh, I want to show you today. It's, I try to be quick to forgive and not hold grudges. Because in ministry you can hold grudges. But you know what? It only brings poor soul health. It brings sin. It brings unforgiveness. And it brings closure into your own soul and weight. I need to be free in my spirit, in my soul and my body. So that I can lead you the best I can. 
So I try to be quick to forgive and not hold grudges. This is my, these are my standards. I can't expect you to live by these standards. I'm just saying these may help you if you think these are worthy to be modelled and demonstrated. Uh, then wonderful. Number nine, I live in peace and truth, not in lies or opinions or in suspicion. The older I become, the more I become distrusting of the news and the media. So therefore, I regulate what I will listen to. I, will, I value different opinions. At one time, I used to watch the news and just take it. Well, that's the news. I think I, God began to show me during Brexit, maybe I was a latecomer to the understanding of this, but God began to show me, son, don't just watch this and listen. I want you to watch what's not happening, watch what is happening, and watch what should happen. And uh, I want you to learn from this. So I, be, I become guarded now with the news. Carol will tell you, uh, I'm a nightmare sometimes. And uh, I, will not re- I will not watch certain aspects of the news because I just know it's opinions-based. It's not news. It's, it's opinions. So much of it is just biased opinions. But that's just me. But I, I, you know, I want to live in peace. And to, to live in peace, I've got to walk in truth. I'm not ignorant of what's going on. I just choose, and if I can spot it, I can move around it and beyond it. So I choose to uh, live, in, live in peace and truth and not in lies, opinions, or in suspicion. Some people are so embittered and become sour that they drink their own poison. Now, here's a picture, uh, sorry, here's, here's a phrase of insanity. Drinking your own poison and expecting someone else to die because of it. When you've got suspicion and you're angry and you're hurting and you, and, you, and you vent against other people, that's your poison you're drinking, but you think someone else is going to die or it's going to hurt them because you drink it. The only person it hurts and destroys is you. Because you're the one with the poison. Or I'm the one with the poison. So, number 10, it pays to recognise, watch, it pays to recognise a fool early. And it pays to appreciate a wise person when you stood in their presence. Now, from a fool to a wise person can be a long journey. You know, I've put up with fools in my life longer than I should have done. And I've ignored wise people when I shouldn't have done. Wow. And now I say, Lord, show me someone who is foolish, who doesn't want to learn. I can spend less time around that kind of person and show me when someone has done something foolish, but their heart is to learn. So in other words, they have a heart for wisdom, they've just done something silly. We've all been there. But a fool will never listen. A fool will never listen. They'll argue their opinions all day long and never change. And I say, Lord, show me that person, because I don't need to spend my time debating around that person. I need to help someone who has got a heart to move towards wisdom. And when wise people are stood in my presence, or I'm stood in their presence, I glean off them. Why? Because I want to upgrade my life. So it pays to recognise a fool early, and it pays to appreciate a wise man when you're stood in their presence. Next one, I'm personally, individually content with who I am. I'm personally, individually content with who I am. Now, anybody who knows me know that's not been my testimony. For many, many years... I am not the man today I once was then. Thank God. Why? Because God has worked with me and I'm a new person, I'm a new creation who's constantly gone through transition. 
My mind has had to change. When I look in the mirror now, I see a different Tony than the one I saw and believed I was many, many years ago. Thank God for that. And I'm a living proof that I am a work in progress. But when perfection comes, the imperfection disappears. When I was a child, I taught like a child, says Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 13, 10. I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. You know what? I was a child. I was a child more longer than I should have been. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. There's a distinct day, and that happens because of thinking and maturity. Now we see, but we are, but sorry, but now we see, but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Yes, I once saw a poor reflection. Now I'm seeing a different man. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. I see a different man and I know a different man now when I look in the mirror. Why? Because I see the reflection of Christ working inside of me. It gives me hope that that's the man I'm becoming. I'm aware of my ability to lead and perceive people. I'm aware of my ability to lead and perceive people, but I have to work hard not to judge them. Because sometimes when you perceive people, you can be wrong. Other times you can be right. I know God has given me a, a gift and a grace to perceive people. But I'm not always right if I'm not always in the right spirit. So I have to guard my heart and mind on that. And lastly, I refuse to give anyone... I'm going to say this slowly because this is probably one of my valuable... One of my uh, life statements. I refuse to give anyone access into my life who does not respect me. Or honour me. Or want to guard me. Why? Because I've realised my value. My stocks are high now. Why? Because I see the work that God has done on me. And he's doing in me. It's not that I'm full of myself. Please do not understand that. I've realised that what God has done in me. And I've realised that if I'm going to help people. I need to have good soul health. So I won't let people tread on me. So I won't give access to people into my heart if they don't respect me if they don't show honor towards me and if they don't move to guard me when they have the opportunity to crucify me i don't expect those people who i've been leading and loving and serving to be selling nails outside the door ready to crucify me they're the people i won't give access to and the moment you have bought soul health it's amazing you go from carrying the cross to selling the nails What's going to put the man on the cross? We have to be very careful of that. So therefore, never let others treat as an option what you, you treat as a priority. There are things in this house that I treat as a priority that other people treat as an option. But I've learned over the years, these things are priority because this is the, this is the result of a new, renewed thinking. So I want to bring this message to an end today and I want just to share those things with you so that you have an awful lot to go through now. This message has been longer than we broadcasted since we started these lockdown broadcasts. But I've given you enough food there to think about your soul health. I want you to think clearly. I want you to think righteously. I want you to think honorably, respectfully. I want you to consider consider this, this, uh, the moment of reading this message and hearing this message. To get on your knees and say, Holy Spirit... If there's any offensive way within me, if I am the victim that I've convinced myself I am, Lord, forgive me. You say, what do you mean, forgive me? I, I'm the victim. Victim is a mentality. 
Jesus Christ died so you would become the victor, not the victim. And if you can transition in your heart and mind towards the place of victory rather than the place of victimhood, when you're a victim, you think you're entitled to things you've never been entitled to and then you're never going to get. But when you move to become a victor, you realise you see that all these things are the scars of a Christian and these are what bear the fruit in our life. So you've hurt. You won't be the last one. You won't be the only one to hurt. In fact, anyone who wants to live a holy life will be persecuted at some point. So I pray this message will help you. I want you to bow your heads right now. I'm going to pray and commit you to the Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, Father, I commit this word into your spirit. And I say, Father, Lord, you know those people who are receiving this message on the other side of the camera. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, to be with them. I pray that you would witness and give them an inner witness of this word. I pray, Father, that you would take them back to the small things of life and address the small things. I pray, Father, Lord, that you would teach this congregation how to learn. But more so, Lord, you would teach them how to unlearn and disattach themselves from those words and those actions that have brought them hurt and wounds and all other kind of things. Father, I pray that you would teach this body of believers how to grow in the name of Christ Jesus. Until we meet again next week, I pray God's blessing. Peace to you, peace to your home, and peace to your family. Amen.